Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. Today in the Gospel according to John chapter 4. The Gospel according to John chapter 4. This is pretty early on in Jesus' ministry, and we've gone through this uh, passage of Scripture. I think it's been a long time since I actually preached a message on this passage of Scripture. I know that we've done it in Bible study um, a couple of times probably in the last couple of years, but um, the the story of the woman of Samaria, and we're going to actually start with uh, the first verse in chapter 4, which goes a little bit previous to that. Um, when we When we look at the woman of Samaria, we should picture us. Now, a a Samaritan was someone who was considered an outcast by the Jews because they didn't hold to the Jewish traditions. There were um, were, um, uh, different types of of, uh, Samaritans. Some of of the Samaritans were were, uh, called uh, Hellenistic Jews, uh, meaning that there were Jews who accepted quite a bit of the Greek customs. So when someone had accepted a Greek custom, um, they were pretty much excommunicated from uh, from the the Jewish faith, Judaism. Now, uh, another thing that certainly made somebody a Samaritan, and I mean publicly marked someone as a Samaritan very quickly, was if they uh, if 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 one of the parents was not a Jew. If one of the parents was a Jew, one of the parents was not a Jew, they were also considered a Samaritan. Uh, which really ended with the same result. If you had a Greek, a Greek dad and a Jewish mom, or vice versa, chances are you're going to have some uh, some theological and philosophical differences uh, with uh, with the traditional Jew or the Judaist. Um, the woman at the well, she's a Samaritan. She lives on Samaritan property, um, and it's kind of strange that the early part of this. It actually, um, it actually mentions, without giving much clarification on why it's mentioning the Pharisees in this particular passage of Scripture. Before we get into that, I want you to, to know basically what the theme of this sermon is. Um, and I, I've tried to dodge kind of any, any titles that have been taken from songs and things, but uh, I will praise you in worship. I will praise you in worship. Now, I could have said, I will praise you in the hard times, I will praise you in the bad times, I will praise you in the good times, I will praise you in art in all times. There's a, there's a reason why I chose that title, I will praise you in worship. And that reason is, we're supposed to be individuals who are always in worship. It doesn't mean we're not going to face difficult circumstances, we all do face difficult circumstances. Uh, but I've mentioned many times before about how we as believers are supposed to believe what we believe so much that what we believe is what affects what happens to us. But too many times it happens backwards with people who are believers. Um, the things that we experience, those things affect us. And it should be the things that we believe, those are the things that affect the other things. You get that? Too many times we flipped this on its head. But this, the story of, of uh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, um, this story actually brings a point 
to what worship really is supposed to be for for a believer. Now, when we come here, I don't want to say that we don't come to church and and worship. Of course we worship. But worshiping at church is really an outward expression or a public expression, a unifying expression of what it is that each and every one of us believe. Now, I've given people a hard time in the past because victory in Jesus. Sound like praise? It sounds like someone believes it when that's the way they sing it. Because worship's believing it. Worship is expressing what we really believe. I've mentioned Glenn Stafford, and as long as I live, I think I'll mention Glenn Stafford. Man would sit close to the front, and when he got, man, the spirit got a hold of him, and he would throw his hands in the air, and he'd walk all the way down the aisle and back shouting hallelujah, all the way down the aisle and back. That was worship because it was a genuine expression of what he believed. It didn't matter what circumstances were, were happening to him outside of church, in his health, in anything in life. Those struggles never kept him from throwing his hand in the air, walking the aisle, and shouting hallelujah. That's worship. Worship is, I believe what I believe so much that what I believe will affect what happens to me. Not, I believe what I believe so much that what happens to me will affect me. You got that? So in chapter 4, starting with verse 1, he says, When therefore the Lord Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, this is about six o'clock in the evening. Okay? So, six o'clock in the evening. A few things I want to point out here. It does mention the Pharisees, and I believe that it mentions the Pharisees, because when the Pharisees found out that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than they were, they became extremely concerned. Jesus' life was in danger very early on. As a matter of fact, some historians would say that Jesus' life was in more danger early on than it was later on. Because early on, Jesus hadn't been exposed to enough people to be that popular yet. By the time Jesus Christ was crucified, he had a lot of people who had already followed him, individuals who who were disciples of Jesus Christ. So it would have been much easier for the Pharisees to take Jesus out at the beginning than it was to take him at the end. Now, this is something I've mentioned in Bible studies many, many times before that just completely amazes me. Um, God is the father of time. Would you agree with that? God is the father of time. Did you know that, that, that Jesus Christ, he made the decisions that he made when he made them so that time would either, would either allow him to progress in his calling or time would say that it was up for what it was that he was called to accomplish in life. The many times that Jesus, it says that the people became angry with him, but he slipped away unnoticed. Did you notice those times? It wasn't his time. How many times does the New Testament say that it was not yet his time? How many times did Jesus himself say it was not his time? When his brothers told him, hey, go up to the feast, what did Jesus say? It's not my time. But he went up anyway. 
These little bitty things that Jesus did, these adjustments, they were adjustments in time. There were things that allowed Jesus to live a little bit longer, and if, if he would have done things completely differently, his life could have been cut shorter. But one thing's for sure. Jesus was already known by the Pharisees. He had begun his public ministry. The Pharisees knew that he was baptizing more than they were. And when Jesus found out that they knew that he was baptizing more, Jesus moved. Now, there's some question as to whether or not that was why he went through the land of the Samaritans. Reason being, there are a lot of things that are against the law, according to the Jews. One thing that a Jew is not allowed to do, permitted to do, is cross property owned by a Samaritan. They must travel around it or travel through it on the road. Guess where this well is not? It is not on the road. The Romans owned the road. The property was owned by Samaritans that Jesus was traveling through. It says when he became wearied, of course he wanted to rest. I doubt that he laid down on the road. Some people speculate, it's a possibility, that Jesus knew that he would be safer if people were looking for him on Jewish property because there's no way a Pharisee was going to get off the, off the road on, on Samaritan property. But the Jews were not allowed to get on property. They weren't allowed to cross the property. So Jesus is beginning to set um, a pace. No, Jesus did not break the law because it was a Jewish law. It was not God's law that, um, that a Jew was not allowed to be on Samaritan property. Verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Guess what else is against Jewish law? He didn't just break one. He broke two there. One, a Jewish man cannot speak to a Samaritan woman. Three, a Jewish man can't speak to a woman <laughs> unless they're part of their family or they're, part, or they're their spouse. Jesus is breaking rules everywhere. I mean, he's, he's a rebel. Why is it that in the world we live in today, individuals are considered really Christians or not really Christians if they're rule followers? Do you think that in some cases in life, not only is a Christian permitted to break the rules, but required to? You better believe it, because it's not law. I'm not saying somebody would break God's law. I'm talking about breaking the rules. Because Jesus isn't breaking God's law by speaking to a Samaritan woman. He's not breaking God's law by being on Samaritan property. He's breaking the rules. There's a difference. There's a difference between being a rule breaker for the purpose of God and being someone who has disregard for God's rules, God's laws. But we've made as a Christian culture, these two things synonymous with each other. Verse 8 says, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drink of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Before we go any further, Jesus is speaking of the exact same thing that he speaks of at the end of this, at the end of this passage of Scripture. He's not talking to her about water. He's talking to her about worship. Now we're going to get to what actually creates the atmosphere of worship or where that atmosphere of worship comes from. But Jesus has just explained some of the characteristics of genuine worship. The characteristics of genuine worship is, one, you will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. You ever gone through those periods of life where you wanted to see God? Where you really begged God to see him? I'll throw you a curveball. Did you know that if you're a Christian, not seeing God is seeing God? Did you hear that? If you're a Christian, not seeing God is seeing God. You ever ask God a question that he didn't answer? Did you know that for a Christian, no answer is an answer? In other words, if we're individuals who know who God is and we know what his attributes and his characteristics are, and we we trust in the promises that he's made that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he would never harm us. But he would always bless us. That we would always have, through this relationship, hope and a future. That we would prosper. Promise the life that is full of life. The important thing is for us to be individuals who know that. I've mentioned before about the Apostle Paul and when the Apostle Paul was experiencing all these difficulties in life and that passage of Scripture where, where, Jesus, or where Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I could imagine the scenario where Paul was in prison and in prison they say, well, we're going to keep you locked up till you die. And he says, I'll consider, myself, I'll consider myself a worker of the Lord and I will teach him every day that I have breath in my body. Well, then we'll kill you, but to die is gain because I'll go home and everything will be fulfilled in life. Then we'll beat you, then I'll be considered worthy to be persecuted for my Lord. You know what that was? That was the second characteristic that Jesus promised. The well of water that was springing up to eternal life. When does eternal life begin? It doesn't begin after death. Eternal life begins now. Because if life is eternal, at what point does it end and change over? 
If it's eternal, it's impossible for it to end. The changeover, the transition happened at the time that we placed our trust in Jesus Christ. These two characteristics are huge. And if we pull these two characteristics from here of worship, which we're going to see in a little bit, then we understand that the key is that when we truly find God, when we truly trust in Christ, that we drink of the well, we will never thirst again. And that that well will spring up water unto eternal life. That's the life. That's worship. Worship is life. It's not only that we live, but it's how we live. You ever go through those phases in your life or meet somebody that you know would swing through hell on a rotten rope and spit in the face of the devil? You ever wake up one morning feeling like Jesus is with you so assuredly that there is nothing in the world that could take you down? That's worship. Because that's 100% giving ourselves over to a God that we say we trust. I trust you, God. Well, it's easy to trust him and it's easy to praise him as long as everything in life is going good. How long do the good spurts last? There's always something, always something wanting to come along to spoil it, right? But see, this well springing up, the worship that we, that we want, the worship that Jesus is talking about giving us, This is the kind of worship that says, whatever the circumstances, I will praise you. I will praise you in the darkness. I will praise you in the light. I will praise you in the good times. I will praise you in the bad. I will praise you when I'm healthy. I will praise you when I'm sick. I will praise you when I'm happy. I will praise you when I'm sad. Because true worship is true trust. Verse 15 says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Why do you think that this woman further down is so surprised that Jesus knows these things about her? Speaking to the women, how many of you women could be happy with five ex-husbands? I mean, you could flip that around too, guys. How many of you think you'd be happy with five ex-wives? I don't think either way it works out very well for anybody. I mean, I know some people, and I, and I, I, man, 
I got to hand it to a lot of divorced couples who keep it together and they're civil to each other. And I just don't see that a whole lot. <laughs> like 98% of the time, it is not like that. I really got to hand it to the ones that are that way. But folks, here's what Jesus was saying to her. He's saying, you really want that water when you aren't willing to not only be honest with me, but you aren't even willing to be honest with yourself. Over the years, I've met with people consistently who have told me what their shortcomings were, the things that they struggle with. Some of the biggest ones, I struggle with faith. How many of us don't struggle with faith from time to time? We do struggle from it. We struggle with it. How many of us struggle with trusting God? I believe at some point or another, all of us do struggle with trusting God. We trust in him. The question isn't do we trust in him. The question is do we really trust him? Do we trust him? If it took the life of one of your children, would you trust him? If it took the life of a grandchild, would you trust him? If it gave cancer to one of your closest family members, would you trust him? If the life was taken in a car accident, would you trust him? If life was taken in any circumstance, would you trust him? It's a tall order. But hey, you don't have to be honest to me. That's not my goal. My goal is for us to be honest with Jesus and be honest with ourselves. Eighteen, nineteen says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. How do we worship in spirit? Well, how does that make you feel to know that every thought, every desire of our heart to know that every ambition, every emotion, that every one 
of those things, God knows. He knows the deepest, darkest corners of our hearts. He not only knows our shortcomings, but he knows our convictions. He knows when he's tried to move us, even when we were immovable. He knows when he's moved us, when we were movable. He knows whether we trust him. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. The thoughts, folks. Worshiping God in spirit is us being conscious of the fact that we are Christ on earth to people. Christians. Little Christ. Lowercase Christ, to be clear. But lowercase Christ, nonetheless. Do you know what has, I don't want to say frightened me, that's probably not one of the most real things that has been heavy on my heart for 15 years. The number of people who walk around on this planet saying that they're Christians... And when they show up to heaven, God's going to say, Get thee behind me, you doer of iniquity, for I never knew you. And it's because they jumped through the hoops. It's because they went through the steps. But it never became a heart-changing relationship. It never became a relationship that drives us to be who Christ is to everyone on earth. There's a huge difference, folks, in doing what we do because we feel as if we have to and doing what we do because that's what Jesus Christ has made us into. Huge difference. In other words... If we are individuals who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, if we're individuals who follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then every breath we take is worship. Because we don't just worship him in song, and we don't just worship him by sitting in a pew. We worship him by everything we say. We worship him by everything we do. Truth. What is the truth? For years now, I've been hearing people tell me the truth is relative. I've had people actually tell me when I tell them about Jesus, they're like, well, that's your truth. That's relative truth. Is truth relative? There's truth, and then there's real truth. Just because someone believes there is no hell doesn't mean that there isn't one. Just because someone believes there's no Jesus doesn't mean that he just vanishes in their circumstances.
truth? Is infinite. Real truth? It will outlive everything on this planet. Real truth? It will supersede the most complicated scientific laboratory created philosophical studied thing on this planet because nothing will surpass it. The truth. Does God love you? God loves us. Another truth. Does he love us unlike anything else on this planet or anywhere else can? He loves us unlike anything else ever can. Is that enough to make us trust him? That alone's enough to make us trust him. That alone is enough for us as individuals to be able to grasp when we face those difficult trials and those troubling times. That's enough for us to still be able to praise him. Flip over real quick to Psalm. Matter of fact, the last Psalm, the 150th Psalm. It's a long one. Six verses. One hundred and fiftieth Psalm. Starting with verse 1, the 150th Psalm says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for the mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you know most people in the country right now, the only thing you have to say is one thing, and you can pretty much shut somebody's life down. COVID. I'm not criticizing anybody for the way that they look at this. I think that people are genuinely concerned about this, and I think that it's up to individuals how they're going to deal with this and handle this. I may die of COVID. Am I okay with that? Yeah. Shouldn't I be? I mean, I'm not going to run around and kiss people in hopes of catching it. 
I'm still going to be careful. I told Madeline one time, she gets into these things sometimes where she just thinks she's dying. Austin looked at me and said, don't say that. (laughs) Not right now. I said, come here, honey. She sat down on my lap. And I said, I want to tell you something that will help you get over this. You're going to (laughs) die. Then Austin said, don't tell her that. (laughs) But we are. And when we do, what has our life accumulated? If we've lived our lives as individuals who have praised the Lord, then it's not that when we pass that our praise stops. It will continue for an eternity. We worship him in spirit. We worship him in truth. We've trusted in the truth. We've put all of our eggs in that basket if we're Christians. So we should be individuals who have the capacity of praising him. Do I like migraines? No, I don't. I've had one for 30 years, 31, 32 years. Has never gone away in 32 years. Some days worse than others. Today I woke up, it was a bad one. I'm going to go to bed this afternoon. There's a possibility that it'll hurt me so bad that I'll beg God to take me. They hurt. Is God worthy of my praise? Yes. But he just lets me hurt. Of all that I know, is that the truth? Does he just let me hurt? I don't know what he's doing. But I can promise you that he has the capacity and the power to stop it. And I can also promise you that everything that I know says that he's not cruel and unusual. And everything that I know leads me to believe that if I'm having them, that he has a purpose for them. And if he has a purpose for them that will help complete his purpose and plan, then should I be okay with them? We praise him. At church? Yes. In his expanse? Yes. For his greatness? Yes. For all that he is, for all that he's done, for all that he will do, he's worthy of praise. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, if you're listening on on the internet or... Uh, on the radio, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. I don't want to talk you into it. I just want you to be obedient if the Holy Spirit moves. My phone number is 636-208-0072. Any questions, you need to talk, I'm available to do so. I'll spend whatever time is necessary. I'll meet you at the church if we need to. If the Holy Spirit moves you, I can ask no more than for you to move. And you may say, well, I don't know what that means. You will. If he ever does, you will know what that means. Believer, I can tell you as a pastor for 20 years, a youth pastor, for 12 years previous, 
But there have been disappointments. There have been heartbreaks. There have been difficulties. There have been challenges and struggles. And they are numerous. And I can tell you that when we know who our God is and we truly put our trust in him, that we can still praise him. And if we are in that spirit of praise, we're in a spirit of worship. And if we're in a spirit of worship, one thing we are not is defeated. During this invitation time, just remember who our God is. Remember who he is. If he moves, you move. But remember who he is. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.